When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to FIGP's podcast series, FIGP Focus 45. FIGP is the only international NGO whose membership consists entirely of IP attorneys in private practice. The FIGP global community is driven by a shared interest among like-minded people to promote common solutions and advocacy for private practice. The FIGP business family makes the world a little bit smaller, bringing independent IP attorneys from around the globe together to focus on IP issues of global importance. Our host is Louis-Pierre Gravel, a registered patent agent and partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Welcome to FIGP's webinar and podcast series, FIGP Focus 45. My name is Louis-Pierre Gravel, and I'm a partner at Bereskin Empire in Montreal, Canada. I'm a registered patent agent in Canada and the United States, and I work in the fields of quantum technology, AI, telecommunications, mechanical engineering, and information technology. Today's topic is the work that WIPO, or WIPO, has been doing in the context of gender issues. With us today, Lisa Jorgensen, who serves as the Deputy Director General, Patents and Technology Sector at WIPO in Geneva, Switzerland. She also manages patent and technology legislative and policy advice and programs relating to the law of patents. She's the first woman in this role and is one of three women De Deputy Director Generals appointed on January 1, 2021. She has been designated WIPO's IP and Gender Champion working on programs to increase the number of women engaged in IP, as well as science, technology, engineering, and math, commonly known as STEM. She was previously the executive director of the AIPLA, the American Intellectual Property Law Association, and group vice president, intellectual property and licensing of ST Microelectronics. Lisa, thank you very much for accepting to be with us today. It's a real honor to have you on our program. Thank you very much, Louis-Pierre. And let me first say, Happy International Women's Day to everyone. Great honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. WIPO is a really large organization, and it's got a few core mandates, um, notably the administration of the various patent design and trademark treaties. Uh, your role in particular is focused on patents and particularly the PCT, but you've also been named, as I said, IP and gender champion. Can you share with us what that role means? Sure, and thanks for that question. First of all, as a champion, what, what we're really working towards is 
uh, uniformity of our work across WIPO in the sense of knowing what all of the various groups are working on, because we have so many projects going on uh, all throughout WIPO. And uh, being the champion myself and with my new team, we've just finished our first ever uh, strategic plan for IP and gender. We're calling it the IP and gender action plan or the IP gap. And being the champion means that we are working towards making sure that we work on repeatable and sustainable projects for women and girls to get them engaged in the IP ecosystem. We've had other guests come and talk to us about gender issues, uh, women in STEM, and the work that's being done in, in different fora. What are the objectives that WIPO is trying to reach with this this initiative or these initiatives? And what distinguishes WIPO from the work that's being done elsewhere? Well, let me start with the second question that you asked first. Um, WIPO's ability is really worldwide, where we can reach uh, any number of different types of stakeholders from governments to the intellectual property offices to stakeholders, meaning uh, corporations, SMEs, uh, individuals, um, any form of, uh, of innovator or creator uh, to help them get engaged in the IP system in, in the area that they're most interested in. So for example, for the IP offices, how can we work with them and together with them to have best practices on uh, how to get your staff engaged or have sort of gender parity of, of women in the organizations themselves. That's sort of internal at WIPO and also where we are working with the IPOs for their own internal capacity for gender balance. We're working with a and just all around the world with a group of different stakeholders, women who have been working with us to get capacity building, the ability for us to help them network, find them mentors and sponsors. So we can do this on a worldwide basis. And one of the advantages we have is if we build a program for, let's say, a group of women in Africa, is that program repeatable or sustainable where we could take that program to another part of the world? The answer would be that we need a, a base program that we start with where we can then tailor make it to the, the needs of the women in the other um, area of the world, making sure that we know what their cultures are, what they need to learn, what their issues are, and we can address them through our tailor-made programming, but with a starting point. Okay, so that's very interesting. And I and I think having looked at the, the uh, IP gender action plan, um, there are three main pillars that you're focusing on, right? So can you explain what those three pillars are? Sure. We have three pillars and then sort of a foundation that's going to go across all three pillars. Um, the first pillar is to support governments, support governments in finding ways to have uh, things like uh, gender neutral uh, legislation that can support women, um, any kind of policy or program that they want to run that would be uh, most beneficial to helping women get engaged in those programs. The second one is going to be driving research. You know, you can't change what you can't measure. So our economics team has just done an incredible job of finding out what we're missing, what data we're missing, finding ways and new ways to collect that data, analyze it, and be able to use that data so that we can help close the gender gap. And third, I would say is, making sure that we can maintain the programs that we currently have, but also then to pilot new programs 
in all regions of the world so that we can have the biggest outreach to those who really need to understand a kind of a demystified way how to understand IP in a way that will help them uh, grow their own economy, their own personal economic situation and development. And, and we know or believe that if you help a woman with her own economic situation through the use of IP, that that, that will ultimately uh, move into helping the community that she's in and maybe even the region or even the country that she's in. So if you start with one, it, it tends to extrapolate to to many others down the line. One of the things that I've noticed, of course, and I'm certain I'm not the only one, is gender issues and this gap that you've identified or spoken about are often firmly anchored in culture, and culture varies widely across the globe. How do you ensure that the work that you're doing at WIPO does, and I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier, but that it presents universal appeal, yet is sensitive to local culture? culture. In other words, some of the initiatives that you're contemplating, and you spoke about uh, Africa, might work well in one country, but may not work well in another country. How do you navigate these cultural differences, for lack of a better word, to ensure that you're, you're consistently and constantly trying to promote the role of women in society more generally, and yet at the same time, you're not colliding with local culture? No, and that, that's a perfect question, uh, Louis-Pierre, because we have a, an entire group internal to WIPO or at WIPO uh, with significant skills and expertise in all the various cultures around the world. And, and primarily, probably in our RNDS sector, which is the regional and national development sector, they understand what um, the various countries have, their, their economics, their politics, and the needs of the country. Then when you bring in the expertise of how to run a program for a woman or a group of women, a group of women entrepreneurs, then they can help us with partnering uh, with people on the ground. So we do also bring in experts that are on the ground in the various regions to help us drive these programs. And once we have sort of what I referred to before as a, a, a base program, a starting point of what we would like to achieve then we can work with our own internal experts, combining that with our partnerships, working with the external experts to tailor make those programs for each and every group that we are in front of. As a good example, on Monday, we started a program, a five-day program here at WIPO for a group of, and I forget the number, I think it's 22 women from SEBS or the Central European and Baltic region. Those 22 women were from over a dozen countries. So even though it's one region, you know, all of those women have come from different cultures. And so we needed to make to, to tailor make that program, first of all, to, to the group, and then finding ways to have all the women network and interact with each other in a way that's very beneficial to them, using our own internal experts and external experts. A lot of the work that you're doing is is attempting to shape behavior to a certain extent, because, you know, if we're talking about involving women in STEM, involving women in IP, um, what we're really underlying, or what we're really trying to do at the bottom, or at, fundamentally, is to try to change behavior, to get more women involved, to get more women part of the, the of the economy. Can you address maybe the how you're doing this through the first pillar? So the first pillar, I think, is supporting the governments in integrating a gender perspective into IP legislation, policies, programs, and projects. But how does that translate 
on the ground. Well, how that will translate on the ground is for the governments and the IPOs to find uh, or, or to uh, make their programs accessible to women on the ground or the, the SMEs, the entrepreneurs, the individuals. Uh, if they have access to these, which is critically important for them to have access to IP and IP tools, but not just access, but but are also then taught how to use the tools to their benefit. Uh, the governments can do that through their IPOs and other government agencies, but can also do it through shaping their national IP legislation that will allow women to become involved in IP and the IP ecosystem. You also mentioned a little bit earlier that you're You've got a team of economists looking at some data and that you're trying to identify pain points. Are there any preliminary conclusions that you can share with us or preliminary observations? Yeah, I can make a couple comments here. One is uh, what we know today, which is that women inventors only make up about 16%, maybe, well, right around 16% uh, inventors on PCT applications. And that's that's just terrible. You know, we need to find a way to close that gap between the 16% and the 84% men. In doing that, the economists have uh, been working very hard, both themselves, as well as working with other economists around the world, and particularly at other IP offices, to share data find out best practices of being able to collect that data. And again, if we can collect it, we, we know what we don't know, what we do know, and, and then how we can find our way to the goal that we want, which is first understanding the issue and then being able to measure it and then being able to do something about it. Um, the economists are, are really working uh, um, across, as I said, across the world with other economists. And, and actually, I, I believe that they will now come out with some new statistics and new ways of measuring data uh, just before the World IP Day in, in April this year. So stay tuned for that. All right. We will definitely stay tuned and, and come back come back to that. What are some of the mechanisms that you're doing, that you're using to to try to spur action? Well, I'll tell you that I think a lot of the IPOs are, are as much in favor of working on these issues as we are. So it's a matter of working together to define what, what more can they do to be able to um, acquire the data that's necessary, um, share that data with all the right organizations, and be a part of the process of researching it, analyzing it, and deciding what we need to do next. In most cases, I, I think this is um, a, a very bipartisan or, or really multilateral issue that everybody wants to get behind. And so I think it's a matter of education and, and capacity building to help everybody understand what the issues are and then be able to do the, the right data collection and research. And I think everybody's pretty much on board with that. That's really wonderful to hear um, because uh, it, it's so important to ensure that every participant uh, in, in, in countries is, is is equally represented and and is and has access to the same tools and opportunities as anyone else and and so i think it's a it's an extremely extremely positive development to see the ipos being involved in this there's of course one thing which is trying to uh, address gender issues in uh, policies and programs and projects at the ipo level but we also know that a lot of the r&d efforts are being done within uh, research and development facilities within companies, often within uh, universities. Um, and there are clearly some issues that need to be addressed there. Are you looking at 
a trickle down effect from the work that you're doing at the IPOs to reach directly the 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 work that's being done uh, pre-filing of an application at the at the earliest stages of of R&D. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't call it a trickle down effect because I think we are working directly with many organizations, uh, corporations, associations, uh, SMEs to help them understand through statistics and other uh, data how much better their organization could be if there are more women inventors engaged, if, um, if if a number of them are able to help get more girls into STEM to fill the pipeline. Uh, and when they see what that kind of diversity can do and the kind of return on investment they can have, uh, many of them will are, are more than happy to get on board and, and try to work at the issues. But, you know, it's it's still somewhat amorphous. You know, it's really hard to understand exactly what's going to happen next if you um, work on, a, on the gender and, and IP issues. But I really haven't heard anybody yet say since I've been here for two years now that they don't want to support this and they will work on issues to the extent that they, they know what they need to do and they're willing to, to step up and, and work on them. One of the questions that keeps nagging at me is, I like I, I see the the value. Of course, I see clearly the value in the work that you're doing. I think it's extremely important. Um, I think you have some very interesting initiatives. But as you said earlier, what you can't measure, you can't evaluate or change. And in this case, does WIPO have any measures of success? I mean, where where do you think, or when can you say that WIPO has achieved its objectives? What are those? data points that would allow you to say something like that? I'll answer it this way, Louis-Pierre. Every time we put on a program now where we are working with, let's say, a group of 20, 50, or 100 women entrepreneurs, and we're training them, what shows us our success is when these women take their own uh, businesses to the next level through the use of IP. And then they become mentors or sponsors to the next generation of entrepreneurs and SMEs. Uh, and when we we work with organ when we work with individuals, it's not for we come in here for a day or a week, but we work with them for maybe a year or more. And what we do is we we start out at the very beginning at saying you have a product or you have a product idea. How do we help you understand how to build a product, how to get uh, venture capital to uh, create a business, how to manufacture the product? how to protect it through IP and then commercialize the product, and how do you even protect it after that? And so we work with people from, from stage one all the way to commercialization, and then we see what the success is. And when we see these women who have gone through these programs and they're very successful in their own businesses and, and increase their own economic situation, that's the, the result of or the success of, of the work that we're doing. Are you starting with some regions more than others, or are you really piloting a number of initiatives in parallel across the globe? Oh, we have so many initiatives that it's hard to keep track of them all, which is part of what our team is trying to do to make sure that we know what everything's happening throughout WIPO and where we can help them, if possible, even enhance their own programs, which is hard to do because we have some wonderful experts in this area inside WIPO. You know, when, we, when we're working with them, um, we just find it very easy for us to to reach out to any number of countries. We've done programs um, recently, even in 2022, in multiple countries, um, Africa. Um, we had programs in Egypt. Uh, we had programs in, in fact, I, I will not even be able to remember them all. Um, Jordan and Egypt, where we had 
80 and 50, I believe, uh, women entrepreneurs that were handpicked to go through a program of training with us so that they can learn how to use IP for their own success. We had a program of 50 entrepreneurs that were handpicked in Namibia uh, for a program that was then sponsored by several Namibian government agencies that went through the program, I believe, with them so that they can help them uh, continue their progress down the line after the program ends. Um, I think we've, we've, well, we did this this week, the program with SEBS. Um, it's continuing through the end of this week and will continue further than that as well. We've done programs in the Asia Pacific region. We had uh, a program of 50 participants from Sri Lanka, Nepal, Vietnam, India, and China. And that program we found to be uh, repeatable and we took it to Indonesia. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we have so many programs going on. Like I said, they're kind of hard to keep track of them all so that we can benchmark what's working and what's not and making sure that everything really is tailor-made to those groups of women uh, and that we have the best possible outcome for them or we help them have the best possible outcome for them through the use of IP. In, in rolling out these programs and trying to coordinate the work of uh, WIPO that's being done, has there been one program that you are particularly proud of, one, one initiative that you think has really hit its mark over and above some of the others? I wouldn't say it's a one country program. I think what WIPO has recently done, say in the last two to three years, is just amazing, where they have been able to work with governments and then Put on a program where they can identify uh, potential entrepreneurs through the, the women um, who are the in, in innovators and creators in, in a particular region uh, and offer them a program to learn to use IP to help them with their businesses, to grow their business. Uh, I think that it's not just a single program that got put on or has been put on or, or we have many more coming up in the near future, but it's the concept of what they're doing to identify these women um, and then bring them along through a, a progression of stages of the programs that we run. For example, I think with the Asia Pacific Women Innovators and the Entrepreneurs Program, we had a series of 12 one week or sorry, 12 episodes um, that they did, I, I think, over a 12 week period. So one per week to help them understand how IP can be used to benefit their, them and the business that their, businesses that they are trying to grow. In the two years that you've been there, have you seen, and it, it may be premature to look at this right now, but have you seen the numbers change in the number of women inventors named on PCT applications, or has that needle not started to move yet? Well, I don't think the needle's ever really moved. Um, I, I would say that we are on a uh, an upward trajectory, but as slow as a snail, and we, that's what we need to change. Um, I, I think it was only slightly less when I first got here a couple of years ago, but even five, 10 years before that, it still wasn't that much higher or lower than, than we are at today. We see a little bit of difference between regions where one region might be a little more than 16%, other regions are a little less than 16%. Uh, the overall average is around 16% of, of women inventors on PCT applications. But uh, my team and, and all the rest of WIPO under Darren Tang's leadership are really working on trying to find ways to uh, move that needle much quicker. Um, one of the questions that has come up in, in the chat and is an interesting one, currently when we prepare and file PCT applications and we name the inventors, we don't identify gender. <clears throat> So how have you been able to, to make that determination that 
approximately 16% are women? That's the, the, the number one question that, that we're all asking. So we do have a name generation uh, tool where we are able to, in most countries, identify the first name as being either primarily female or primarily male. And it's, a, uh, it, it's an extrapolation from that. One of the problems we had in the past with that tool, it was very difficult to identify names from some of the Asian countries, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Korean. Um, and we've gotten a lot better at that now and, and feel that our, our tool is much more defined. It's much more focused and we're able to capture the data, which we believe is a little more accurate than what has been in the past. And hopefully in this very short near term, we'll find out some more things that the, the economics group is working on to, to even increase that specificity so we can have a, an even more accurate tool. Is there any, any talk about introducing identification of gender in PCT application forms, for example? There's always talk about doing that. The question is, can we do it? And if so, how would we do it? And then thirdly, would it really make any difference? Because I'm sure there will still be a number of countries that won't be comfortable at providing that kind of information or even asking their own inventors for that information. We know some countries are already collecting that data. Uh, we know countries like the U.S. are not. Um, so we're, we're working with all of the IPOs to say, you know, what can we do here? And, and if we can do something, what would we do and how would we do it so that it's really accurate? And and as you say, would it was it would it provide useful results? Um, I mean, right. if you if if you have tools that you know have a little bit of wiggle wiggle numbers in terms of not being able to be absolutely certain whether or not the the first name is that of a woman or a man, and you're willing to live with that data, would it really make a difference if you asked for it? I don't know. You might be getting just marginal improvement, right? I don't think I know the answer to that one, but we are always asking that question to be sure that if the right time comes that, that it would be beneficial, then we would be prepared to, to step up. But right mm -hmm. now, we're just still in that, that questioning stage of can we do it and how would we do it? I know certainly in, in North America, in the US where you're from and Canada where I'm from, there's also a, a, a debate going on about gender as a, as a topic of conversation and the spectrum that you know, then gender can represent and we're no longer in a in a black and white man or woman type of world that there's um a, a, now a spectrum being uh, discussed or debated or or even socially accepted um and so that complicates i think the the collection of that data a little bit can you talk to us a little bit about some of the projects that you have in the pipeline that you're willing to to roll out or that you're about to roll out sure First of all, is our first ever strategic plan for IP and gender. Uh, it's done, and we have a final accepted draft of it. Now we're just ready to, waiting for the publisher to, to help us put it all together so that we can get it out publicly. We did, however, have a meeting of all of the Geneva-based ambassadors back in January in which Darren presented the IP gap, or we uh, made a presentation to all of them on what it is that we've got uh, and what we're trying to achieve those three pillars, plus the two foundations, which are uh, collaborating across all of WIPO, as well as collaborating with external partners. 
uh, and, a, and a much more stringent and, and, and identified communication strategy that we, where we can reach many more people. That's one thing that we're working on is, the, is making sure that we can get this IP gap out as soon as possible. The next thing actually will be to replicate a lot of the projects that I just mentioned happened in 2022. We have a number of those that we will be starting up. I think there's one that's starting up uh, this month. So we will continue those programs all around the world in various regions, primarily in the developing countries, least developed countries and the countries in transition, which is where a lot of the the women need the, the, the most help to understand um, how IP can help them uh, culturally and economically uh, develop their, their own businesses. From there, we will be working on a number of other things that are outlined in the IP gap, one being the research on the data. We're working on new programs for researching data with our economics team. We are working on, on uh, various other things, such as how to partner with organizations to have uh, greater reach in all of their regions. So we have a, a number of those things in the works. And, and you mentioned external organizations. Um, of course, today, you and I are having a conversation that is mostly directed to members of FICBI. Um, as you know, FICBI is one of the major international organizations when it comes to IP. How can FICBI help you? What, what sorts of initiatives can we work on together? What sort of things can we do as an organization or through our member countries to help WIPO in these initiatives? That's a great question for us because we we want to collaborate with organizations like FICP. We've already always had a good relationship with FICP as well as any number of other organizations, but certainly with FICP. We would be more than happy and, and very interested in having members of FIGP become expert speakers for us at WIPO on all of our various programs, whether it's IP and gender or, or a substantive program in, in patents or trademarks. But uh, as we're talking on IP and gender, um, you know, we would love to have more speakers from, from your membership. I think we would also like to see your members take on their own internal role within their own organizations, um, not just FIGP, but, but everyone. So finding ways to be um, mentors for your own women in your own organizations, but even more than just a mentor, uh, more like a sponsor, somebody who, uh, and I, I learned this a few years ago from, from uh, a colleague at, at, uh, through my time at AIPLA, which is, uh, you know, to sponsor somebody is more than just helping them understand where their career can go, but sponsoring them would be something like, okay, I'm taking you with me on this next trip trip I'm going on or to the next visit with a client or the next time I go in and see the manager of our department to be able to bring them along, but not just to have them sit there in the corner, but give them a task to do and let them learn, let them make mistakes, but let them learn what they need so they can grow in their own career. That is spectacularly inspiring. And I, and I think, you know, I think some people have taken it to heart. We have certainly a few members who are listening to us now who I think would be very, very interested in, in exploring ways to, to collaborate, to help, to, uh, to become a, a resource in, in various countries. As an international organization, our reach is, is, is global and we have members from all around the world. And uh, and we can certainly certainly assist on that. So thank you very much. I I think uh, FICB leadership will take note of that open door and uh, explore it further. 
And of course, I, I should also mention that we would love to have FIGP members get involved in World IP Day coming up in April. Uh, there's a lot of material on our website. If you have any interest in, in holding a program or helping others uh, hold a program on, on the, for the World IP Day on the IP and gender issues. Um, and if you need any support, if anybody wants to do something and they need some support on, on what they can do, uh, we're here to help them uh, know what, what's possible for your own area, your own groups and, and organizations. So I will I will shamelessly plug the fact that WIPO does have, in fact, a, a page dedicated to World IP Day, uh, FICBI also. So please, uh, our listeners are invited to visit both, uh, both pages to see what's available, what's out there, what are the kinds of programs that are being set up. And to uh, to uh, volunteer to participate in any way and, and that you can. We also have some very exciting initiatives that will be coming up for World IP Day. So stay tuned for that as well. And I think uh, the members who are listening to us now, uh, instead of being redirected to the Wonder Room, because unfortunately, Lisa won't be able to stay with us after the presentation, but you've been redirected to the World IP Day page on the, uh, on the WIPO website. And um, uh, I invite you to visit it and explore the the various uh, things that are there. Just uh, time is is ticking out. Uh, there are a few questions that I have regarding some of these projects initiatives, and I know it's still very early on in the process to see. Well, this is more effective than that, or this is this has had a, a greater impact. It, is there of all the various initiatives? And it comes back to the question I asked earlier regarding you know, is there one program that you favor particularly, is there, you think, and I, I suspect the answer is going to be, well, all of it's important, but is there, or are there some mechanisms or some policies or some initiatives that one should probably start looking at to start with? In, in, in other words, are there some that, that will give you the greatest impact for the effort that you're putting in? That's a really tough question, um, because I think there are a number of things that we are doing so much better than we used to do to the point that uh, we are finding them repeatable and sustainable projects that we can take from one area to another. Um, uh, I think one very interesting thing for us is that we also now have a youth coordinator here at, at WIPO. And between our youth initiatives, SMEs and women uh, we're really reaching out to so many more people than ever before. And, and we're also something that, that Darren also opened up a bit when, when he got here was um, our communication strategy, our outward communication strategy, so that we reach so many more people than we ever did before. I think the combination of those things really, really helps us demystify IP so people understand it and find ways to, to use it for their own benefit. And I think you said a magic word there, and that is demystify IP. Yep. And, you know, when we as a as a group of FICP members get together, it is a recurring theme in the conversation. There is still a significant amount of mythology that surrounds intellectual property. There are people out there who identify themselves as IP experts, but when you start scratching the surface... As professionals, we find that it's not exactly the way it actually is. And and I think FICBI in particular, part of the organization, has been doing a lot of work to address this demystification 
of IP I, issues. I think that's, I think you're right on that point. I think that, that what we have to figure out is how to go beyond the experts in our language and how we speak about intellectual property. So just as a simple example, instead of saying inventors and trademark owners, um, let's talk about innovators and creators you know, take it to to a point where it's a much more business oriented topic than it is a pure IP legal topic. And when you can find ways to show business people to, how to use IP in their own language, you've already um, you know taken it to the next level. I think in being able to to show them what they can do with IP. And I think that's another point where FICPI and and uh, Wipo can work in that, uh, you know, sharing some of the best practices in terms of adjusting the language that is being used. And sometimes that can make a big difference. True. Thank you. One of the things that FICPI has done is that we've asked our members to identify innovative women. And uh, we're collecting a list of of these wonderful, inspiring leaders uh, on our World IP Day page on FICP.org. And so I know this is a shameless plug for the FICP website, but certainly we can cross-link that to the to the WIPO website. Perfect. We're doing the same, but we encourage all of you to continue to do that. It's really important that we identify uh, role models for the next generation. Thank you very much. Uh, Lisa, our time is coming to an end. Are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our uh, listeners? I think the only thing I would say is that let's not um, treat this as a one-day event, Um, the International Women's Day or even the World IP Day. We should be looking at this at 365 days a year. Yeah, I think you're preaching to the choir, and I think uh, everyone is on on the same page on that. And I think most of the initiatives that are being rolled out within WIPO, within uh, FICB, have that squarely in their sights that this is not just a one-day or two-day out-of-the-year event. This is something that needs to be thought of, looked at, uh, considered, and acted upon every single day of the year. Lisa Jorgensen, uh, Deputy Director at uh, WIPO, 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 I'm not quite sure what the preferred terminology is, but thank you very, very, very much for your time today. We greatly appreciate it. And for the listeners, uh, stay tuned on the FICP page for the next episode of the Focus 45 series of webinars and podcasts. Thank you. Louis Pierre, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you have any questions about the topics discussed in this podcast, you can sign up for free and message us, ficp.org. You can also find out more of what's to come on the FICP Focus 45 podcast series, either on the events page of our website, LinkedIn, or via our newsletter. See you next time.